to keep it a little bit more chill today, so as you see, we're seated. Um, I do want to share a scripture with you to kind of just set the tone, right? To set our minds on Jesus. So I'm reading from Romans 5, maybe 6 through 10. And this is what it says. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person who would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Today, in history, Jesus died. But he had us on his mind when he did. He wanted to bring us in right standing with, with uh, the Father. And I think that just creates a response from us, a response of worship, of praise, of setting our lives to his will and to his purpose. So as we worship today, I invite you to have your mind on Christ and to dwell on that. Amen? Amen. Here I am to bow down, here I am to 
Thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. Thank you for your blood that was shed on the cross nearly 2,000 years ago, Lord. We honor you, God. We worship you. There is no one like you, Lord. was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated. The breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your side. So you made a way across the great divide left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside and there at the cross you paid the debt i owe broke my chains freed my soul for the first time i had Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of life. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. 
came hell, sin, the grave, death, for us to be reconciled to Abba Father. That is such a wonderful gift to be in relationship with our Heavenly Father, that he sees us through your blood, Jesus, that we are made whole, we are made righteous through your blood, Jesus. We remember that today, in this moment, Lord, in this service. We remember your sacrifice. 
Thank you for choosing to lay your life down for us. We love you and we honor you and we worship you for that gift, for that sacrifice. And let us remember, let it be sealed into our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our first Good Friday service. My name is Mark. I'm the pastor of our church. And as we step into tonight, or today, whatever you want to call it, I just want to give you an honest assessment. This is one of the events in my faith journey that actually held me back from following Jesus. This, this cry that Jesus called out when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I could not reconcile it for years. For years, it was like, why would God send Jesus to the earth? And then at Jesus' most desperate time, his most darkest point, why would God abandon him? And for me, it was like, if that's going to happen to Jesus, and I'm not ever going to be like, like, I'll never add up to be Jesus, right? Uh, <clears throat> could that happen to me? Would God abandon me, right? And it was one of those moments, and or forsaken me, and it was one of those moments where I remember at 17, it was around April time, and it was in the back backyard of my house, and I just remember suddenly thinking, okay, sometimes following Jesus requires faith, right? And for years, I was just like, it'll just, it'll just take faith, it'll just take faith, right? I just kept putting it into the faith category, it's just you need to have faith to do this, right? And so for years, I would just do this, and then it just turned into this idea of like, everyone, you probably have these issues too, right? There's questions, there's things you want to pull on, but you don't want to pull too far because you're like, whoa, that would like, that could de derail me. And I just remember thinking through, like in my ordination cer ceremony and stuff like that, the interview, I was just like, pull it back. I wouldn't talk through it. I was just like, I just can't really say this, right? Like, it's, if you do, then you're labeled something. And so I would just be like, okay, I'm just going to settle this. And, and when I went to Israel last year, I was talking with my roommate who told that the group. And he was asking the questions of like, hey, what, like, what brought you here? What's some of the things you have, question you have? And he asked me my faith journey, so I told him. And he just like grinned. And I was like, this is weird. So, and he's like, I think you're gonna find your answers this, this year or on this trip. And so what I want us to do today is walk through you know, uh, Thursday evening up to the, uh, the cross, into the burial part. Um, and so, as we're doing this, what I want us to, like, if you can imagine us sitting around this table and just having a last, a last meal together, <laughs> what you would notice is that the disciples are sitting with Jesus, and they've been doing this for three years now. This is their third, third time doing it with their rabbi. And uh, they've been doing this, this meal together. It's a way that they experience the Passover. And so they did this. And now there's four cups of the, of the Passover, cups of wine. There's a cup of deliverance that God delivered them out of Egypt. And there's a cup of like being set free. Um, and then there's this cup of, of redemption. There's a cup of protection. And then there's this fifth cup, but they didn't really know what to do with it. They didn't know if they should fill this cup and celebrate it and all this. So think about this. Now, kids, you don't know this yet, but if you drink four cups of wine in a few minutes, it has an effect. Right? So, here are these four cups of wine, and these guys are doing this, and then Jesus, after this four cups of wine, they're like, okay, let's get up and go. Well, where do they go? We always just assume, that, like we say, well, yeah, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, but that's not really what the scripture says. 
And it says they go, to, like Luke says, that they go to their normal place on the Mount of Olives. Uh, Matthew and Mark say they go to Gethsemane. And then John says they go to a garden, which a garden in, the, in when there's a desert and mountains, that just means like anytime there's a vegetation, like any kind of vegetation, like, oh, it's a garden. So what it was was this is a, a cultivated area where there's a handful of olive trees that were there. And it was laid, it was put on the mountainside. And in there, there's this thing called a Gethsemane. Now, think about this. You don't want to go too far when you collect all the olives. So you're harvesting the olives. You take it to these massive things that have these millstones, which you probably read before, heard about a millstone. Think set like a couple tons weight worth. And so you would hand, you would put the, the olives into this trough and you would roll the millstone around it or a donkey would uh, and stuff like that or your kids could try to push it. And then be like, hey, like imagine a kid, you're like, hey, the parents, you would send this to, kid, to your kids, like, hey, go push that stone around, see what happens, right? And just take several hours to do it, right? And so this is something they would do. So we would press the, the olive oil out of the, out of the olives and you would smash it down and it would run off into a basin. And in the biblical times, we talked about when this, the first fruits were the finest oils, we call it extra virgin oil, right? That's how fancy we are. And so then they take the pulp of it, like this paste type thing, and they throw it in these hemp baskets, and they take it to the next part of the operation, and they shove it into this like slot, it's like a cave, and then you have this massive cedar beam. And then it's attached to these stones, and these, somehow these men would attach the stones on there, and they would take the supports of this beam out and would press these baskets even further. And it would press it down and the oil would run off. Now this oil is full of acid. It's really, really acidic. So you take some water in there and you would throw it in there and water oil separates, but the water would absorb all the acid and then you'd skim it off and then you have rich, deep oil. So you have these things in here and this thing that is called this contraption is called a get, which is a press, shemanim, which is oil. So here's Jesus on Thursday night, and he's being pressed beyond his ability, beyond his comfort zone. And what does he cry out? My God, like, I don't want to take this cup. He's literally being pressed out to the point where his, his sweat is turning to blood. And he's, he's in anguish, and he's just sitting there, and he's talking this through, and he's like talking about to God, like, God, I don't want this cup. Now, they've had the four cups of the Passover. So what cup is he wanting? Well, the, the, the Hebrew tradition is a fifth cup. They didn't know what to do with this. They would turn it upside down and leave it on the cedar, on the sacred um, meal. And what this was, was they said, okay, at some point there's going to be a prophet who gives us an understanding about this. So this cup that Jesus does not want to participate in. Jeremiah calls it the cup of damnation. Psalm 79, Psalm 69 talks about it as the cup of wrath. That God will empty his cup of wrath on humanity for evil. And when Jesus is in the garden being pressed, he's like, God, I don't want that cup. What's he say? Not my will. When Jesus surrenders his will to the Father, what he's saying is, don't leave one last drop. Empty the cup of wrath. 
that should be meant for you and I. Because he who had no sin became sin. And God empties this. And so in this time, he's sitting there, he's pressing in on us, and he's like, okay, there it is. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sees the, the, the people who get arrested, and they're, they're about to arrest them. He sees them by torches, and they come by night. And he says, oh, my, the arresters are coming, they're coming to do this. They take him for a mock trial. And at 9 a.m., the decision is made. He gets, he gets sentenced to death. He carries the, the cross through Jerusalem City. And he hangs out, and he's there. And he goes to Golgotha, which Herod the Great had used as a, as a limestone quarry, but then abandoned because it wasn't pure limestone. And then he's hanging on the cross, and this is the part, the part that just like wrecked me for years. Well, he's hanging on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was in this moment that I was just kind of working through this, and and my, my good friend Brad is just walking through this text. And I'm going to have Betsy come up, and she's going to help me with the sermon as we go through this. But one of the things I want us to point out as we work through this is that while the Romans were the ones who issued the sentencing issue, and while the religious leaders can put them through this mock trial, Nobody took Jesus' life. He willingly offers it up for us. And he willingly says, okay, I'll give you every last drop of wrath that should be meant for creation. And then he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the thing that, that, that brought some attention to it for me was that there's this Jewish cultural practice called the death text. That while the Jewish people are facing death, they want to have this, this passage, this part of scripture on their lips. There's a, a Tel Aviv Airlines who likely went down, and when they got the black box, they heard the Jewish people crying out the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, the Lord is God. As the people were literally being persecuted, they, they cry out these death texts. And my assumption, my, my understanding is that I think this is Jesus' death text. So Betsy's going to read Psalm 22. Let's see if it sounds familiar. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. So this is David a thousand years before Jesus. As Isaiah is prophesying what's going to happen next, here's what he writes down in Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew that the sickness was. He was like some people turned away from him. And he was despised and we didn't value him. And then on the cross, Jesus looks down and here's Matthew chapter 27. Verse 39, here's what it says. 
those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, you, you who destroyed the temple and rebuilt it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. And the same way the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him and said, he saved others, but he cannot even save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from this cross, and we will believe in him. He who trusts in God and let God rescue him now, if he takes pleasure in him, for God, for he said, I am the son of God. And in the same way, even the criminals who were crucifying him started insulting him. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan, <coughs> encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey open, your mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. So here's what John says, John 19, verse 33. When they came to Jesus and did not break his legs, they saw that he was one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water flowed out. And the concept of, of blood and water, these are the life fluids. There's two concepts here the rabbis wrote, wrote down and the early church fathers wrote down. At birth, there's blood and there's water, not to be gross, but there is. And this is a new life that Jesus is offering. There's a new covenant, there's a new way of life. The second concept here is that this is a sacrifice, and it's a cleansing sacrifice. In the Temple Mount, Passover is going on from the early, early day, parts of this day. From sunrise, they've been sacrificing these lambs. Estimates of 15,000 lambs all the way to 155,000 lambs have been offered. Now, we don't know the number. I wasn't there to count. I don't think you were either. Either way, 15,000 lambs. And a lamb holds about nine gallons of blood. So on the Temple Mount, at least 15,000 lambs have been slaughtered. There's 135,000 gallons of blood being poured out. In order for that to get washed off the Temple Mount so it's safe to walk on, it takes two to three gallons of water to be washed off. And all of this flows down the Kidron Valley. The scripture says, Jesus goes out of his way down the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives from the Temple Mount. I think he washes, walks by, by this and looks down and sees this and realizes this is my path. And I will willingly do this. Scripture is very clear. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And yet, no one takes his life. He willingly gives it. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. A potsherd is this piece of pottery that gets 
broken off of them in their kiln. And it's left in there, and it's so dried up, it's so brittle. And he's just saying, God, my mouth is just like this. And he cries out, and they, and they just give him the, the vinegar, but he doesn't take it, and it's all dried up. And, and this is where he like, gives him the last ability to cry out on the, on the cross. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. Luke chapter 23, verse 33 says this. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. they don't know what they are doing. And they divide his clothes among them and they started casting lots for his clothes. Golgotha is this abandoned limestone and because of this process, it looks like a skull. Don't think eyes and nose. Think the, the cranium, the, the head of it. That's what it actually looks like. And as you're working through this, just this concept that, that this happens for a reason. That Jesus is literally taken right out there. And John talks about that, that there's a garden with the, the place of the, of the death. And as the, on the cross, he just looks at this and he's like, I cannot believe that they're dividing my garments for me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So Mark chapter 15 says this, they crucified him. That's the same account. And they said they're dividing his clothes and they're casting lots. They're literally rolling dice to see who gets his garments. To have them use it. Like, for some reason, they're, they're doing this and they're just almost mocking him to a degree. Now, in the paintings, we see that Jesus has a third of one cloth. Jesus did not have a one cloth. He's completely naked. He's completely humiliated in this concept. And, and we've always probably seen those elevated versions of the cross, but in Roman tradition, they would have wanted to see, they, they talk about having icons, like eye level, because they want to see the light drain out of their eyes. And so Jesus is literally looking down, and he's within touching distance, in a sense. And he's there, and here's David just prophesying, saying this is going to happen a thousand years before him. And here's where we're going to read the next part. And this is where it really picks up. And stay with Betsy because it's going to take a while to get there. But just listen. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. The 
those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. So the question is why? Why is Jesus willing to do this? Why is Jesus willing to, to endure all of this? And I believe this is a death text. I think this is the concept, and I think you find it in verse 27. I think this is why. And here, let me just read it again. That all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. And I think it's for you and I. The reality of it is, is that we were not even part of like a concept of the biblical times, were we? But Jesus knew who we were. And he knew of our friends in Brazil. He knew of our friends in China. He knew of our friends in Vietnam. In all time spans. And he sits there and in that moment he says, this is why I'm doing this. Another way of translating the very last phrase here in uh, verse 31, <clears throat> that they will declare that it is done, or what he has done, is it is finished. Jesus on the cross has bookend this entire psalm that my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the original audience who knew the Bible and knew the scriptures would have immediately gone back here. And then he declares it is finished. This is why he does it. So that you and I would know that there's a God in Israel. Going all the way back to Abraham, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the wrath of God, the fifth cup has been filled since Genesis chapter 3. And God empties it in the garden. And then Jesus declares it's done. All the wrath that you could have even possibly given out has now been given to me. Evil extinguishes every single power that he has, and God extinguishes every single wrath on Jesus. The question is, what do we do about it? Law is going to come up and lead us into this next part. And as it comes up, let me just pray for us. Jesus, thank you for this day. sacrifice that your body was offered as a sacrifice your blood was shed and you willingly did it so that we would know that there's a God in Israel and that he loves us Amen 
have some moments of uh, guided prayer and reflection. And um, I don't know what refle reflection means to you, but I like to ask questions. I like um, ask God questions, and let him ask me questions, and uh, just meditate on those. So we're going to have some guided moments and uh, encourage you guys to just connect with God throughout this. Um, so the first one, listen to what God is saying to you. Um, listen to what God is saying to you. Maybe he's been trying to say something to you for a while now and you haven't been listening. Um, so we're going to take uh, some time, listen to what God is saying to you. Maybe he's asking you a question. Maybe he's commanding you to do something. Just going to give you guys some time to listen to what God is saying to you. Abba, Father, we love you. I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts, open our ears, help us to listen, help us to be quiet, be still, and know that you are God. Help us to push aside the things we think are right, the things we think we know, and submit to what you are trying to say to us, God. Help us to be obedient and humble and to take into consideration the questions you have for us, God. The things you say about who we are, the commands you give us on a daily basis, I pray that you would help us to listen. Help us to listen to you, God. In Jesus' name. And we're going to take some time, I'm going to give you guys some time to uh, thank Jesus for his sacrifice today. Um, not just his sacrifice on the cross, but he left his throne in heaven. We don't even know how awesome that is. And he left it to come to this earth. And I'm sure he made sacrifices that we don't even know about. He went through things, struggles, temptations that we don't even know about. He sacrificed for us and lived perfectly so that we could have salvation. So we're going to spend some time. Thank Jesus for his sacrifice.
Jesus, we just thank you right now um, that you would leave your throne and come to this earth in a human body and just deal with all the things that this world throws at us and do it perfectly. Be a spotless lamb for us, God. The whole time, knowing that you were going to die for us as a sacrifice and shed your blood for our freedom. Thank you so much that you would endure what you did for us. And I didn't say us, but specifically every individual who's ever lived. You did it with them in your mind, God, and in your heart. We thank you so much for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name. And as we um, go through this last prompt, after this, uh, Heather's going to come up and lead us in communion. And I just want to give you guys the opportunity to ask for forgiveness of your sins. Um, any sins that you may have, unconfessed. Um, maybe you need to ask someone for forgiveness. I want to give you time to think about that. Ask God for any anything in your heart, anything in your life that's not right, that's keeping you from him, that's keeping you from being the fullness of who he wants you to be. And um, take into consideration maybe forgiveness you need to extend to someone else or you need to ask for. We just thank you so much for forgiveness. And you say as, as far as the east is to the west and the sea of forgetfulness. And we, we can't comprehend the fullness of your grace and forgiveness, God, but we're so thankful for it. Thankful that we can go through something on this planet, be forgiven, and know that it is eternal, eternal forgiveness. It has no end. Thank you so much that you would, would do that for us, God. Um, if there's anyone in this room right now that, that needs to soften their heart and soften a struggle that they're going through, a sin that they're holding on to, God, I pray that you would break the chains on them right now. I pray that you would give them freedom right now, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall fresh on them right now in a way that they've never experienced it before and know that forgiveness is for them. We're not worthy. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. You give us forgiveness freely, God. And I pray that everyone in this room understands that. We love you. In Jesus' name.